you know, my very first deal was a, an easy one. I mean, I think we we bought that house. We are going to clean it up. We're going to uh, change out some countertops and some backsplash. I don't, we didn't even paint in that house. A lot of people say, man, that's crazy. But I'll tell you, that's what's happened. So if you buy a house and you think you're going to do it for $40,000 based on the $20 a foot game that we were doing six years ago, it just doesn't happen. You are now listening to the Real Estate Heavyweights Podcast. You see this guy here staring back at you? That's your toughest opponent. Every time you get into the ring, that's who you're going against. I believe that in boxing, and I do believe that in life. Your weekly deep dive into DFW real estate, life, and beyond. With your hosts, Tavis Westbrook and Ashton Hines. Well, good morning, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Real Estate Heavyweights. And today we have our Real Estate Heavyweight University, where we are taking a very deep dive into the world of flipping. Overall, going to be talking about real estate investing. If you're a real estate professional, if you've ever wanted to learn about investing, uh, this is your place. Uh, We're going to really take a, a really deep look into the ins and outs of investing I'm Ashton Hines. I, uh, I'm a realtor. I'm a real estate investor. I also work a full-time W-2 job. And so I've got the dual career thing going. I'm working on my fourth flip. I've got one rental. And so I'm really early on in my journey and I'm still learning. I got a ton of questions. Luckily, I have a good friend, Tavis Westbrook, who's with us. He's flipped over 200 houses. He's got multiple midterm rentals. He's got a small commercial building. He's got a lot going on. So Tavis, how are you feeling today? How are your uh, your rentals doing? How's the business doing? And then uh, why don't you get us started into our topic today? Good morning, man. I'm doing great this morning. Yeah, the uh, you know all of our rentals are doing really well, actually. Um, so our midterms are fully occupied right now. I've just got a, a notice of extension on uh, two of them yesterday. So that's always exciting. Nice. Uh, that's one thing cool about midterms yeah. is you keep the back end open so that you can extend the existing tenant versus short term. Um, you are really trying to keep your calendar full. So therefore, you have somebody already pre-scheduled to come in when one person's moving out. So you don't do extensions. Um, so that's one of the big differences. Now, it can curate a little bit of vacancy when that happens because you may not have anybody lined up right away and you may be vacant for a few weeks to a month. But anyways, that one's doing great. Commercial, yeah. we're wrapping up the final TI for one of the national tenants that's getting ready to to uh, get a CO and get moved in. And I think that we're about a month early on timeline. So that's, that's exciting as well. I'm ready to be done spending money cool. on that thing. Yeah. No kidding. <laughs> so yes, I know. I know that feeling for sure. <laughs> you know, it, it's been a learning curve for sure, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm done writing checks on this thing every week. I, I want more checks coming in. So that'll happen in, yes, in yes. about February will be fully, uh, stabilized to where uh, everybody's rent is due and no more rent abatement at that point in time. So that'll be exciting. That's when I'll start actually feeling, you know, the numbers and the cash flow coming in. So that's exciting stuff. All Definitely. right. So nice. Um, we're going to jump right in. So one of the things that we've been talking about in the last couple episodes uh, with Flipping University is talking about uh, our rehab or renovation tiers and the cost associated with that. So 
this is something I put together years ago. This was a methodology that we came up with that would allow us to walk a home or even take a phone call, for instance, and get enough information where we could kind of, you know, dissect the property or kind of prescript, if you will, what we were getting into and kind of do some quick math to know about where we need to buy this property uh, before we ever left our office. And so we kind of call this a tier structure. And you've heard Ashton and I talk about tier one, tier two, tier three, and we'll even mention, you know, tier four, which is basically um, the ultimate, you know, tear down, scrape, you know, rebuild, you know, infill lot, however you want to pronounce it. But that gets into uh, the tier four thing. So typically we're not really playing in that game too often. Uh, that's kind of a unique situation. I, I've done it in the past, but the timelines are pretty extensive. And so I've kind of pulled away from that from that uh, desire. But, you know, hey, the right opportunity comes up. I'll always, I'll always dig into it, look into it. So nevertheless, uh, tier one, tier two, and tier three we're going to talk about. And we're going to talk about how we associate dollar per foot with those numbers. So getting into that, uh, Ashton, do you want to comment anything before I dive right in? Well, I mean, I'll say this as a new investor, you know, we talked a little bit about this last week as a new investor, I would really, you know, probably cheat towards the lower end, the ones and the twos. You know, my very first deal was a, an easy one. I mean, I think we we bought that house. We are going to clean it up. We're going to uh, change out some countertops and some backsplash. I don't, we didn't even paint in that house. I mean, it was a great house. It was a unique situation, but it just really fit to learn, learn the business. And then the, the, my next one was actually a full on, I would say you would call a level two where we were, we were doing all sorts of changes. We moved a few small walls. We didn't really change out any big roofing or air conditioning, but we did a little bit of foundation work and a little bit of, uh, a little bit of wall movement. So it was, it was moving up the food chain as far as, for as need. And so we talked about this last week. If you're early on, you know, listen to all these things, learn how to do them, know what you, you know, what, what to look for, but use this as kind of a filter, this knowledge that you're going to get today. Use this as a filter to say, okay, yeah, he's starting to talk about stuff. I, I saw a house the other day, a wholesaler sent me, I think it would need all of this stuff. Maybe that's not for me. So that's that's how I went about finding my first few ones. And so go ahead and get into what you're looking for. Maybe we'll, let's just start with a level one. What are, what do you define as a level one? Um, and so Ashton, what um, I'll ask you this. What was your dollar per foot that you ended up on on the first one? Did you do that math on it? I, that would I, I'd almost call your first one almost a hotel meaning that you bought yeah. it, you did a really light lipstick cleanup, and then you put it on the MLS and sold it, right? So you took advantage yeah. of some uh, of a situation where it was convenience, right? Yeah, for sure. My very, very first one actually was, I, I, I went to, and I'm not kidding on this, I bought the house, I had a full budget to renovate it. This was during the height of a frenzy. I spent $5 at Home Depot to fix a little leak on the washing machine. The little bib was dripping. And I went to Home Depot, got that little cap, put it on there. And then I actually sold it to a, a larger wholesaling group. And I think I netted somewhere in the realm of $50,000 on that. And nice. so, you know, that's completely unique. So 
the next one I had, I would have to do the, I, I haven't done, I can do it real quick actually. So I, I think that was around 2,700 square feet. And I spent roughly 8,500 on some uh, countertops and backsplash. And so uh, how would we do that? So 8,000, we did math last time. This didn't work out very well. When we're doing math live, this is not, this is not good. <laughs> At least you got a calculator but, in front yeah. of you this time. You know? Yeah, I got a calculator. So yeah, that, $2,800. Don't, don't, don't do- yeah, 2,800 square feet, and we spent roughly $8,000, so... Yeah, so that was cheap, cheap. <laughs> Super cheap, like $3 a square foot. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's like um, super, super lipstick and unique, but I guess the point is, like, those exist, and you can wait around yeah. and try to find something like that, you know? And would everyone love to spend $5 to make 50000 Sure, or 40 whatever it was, you know? Um yeah, I, I am confident everyone would love that. You can wait around for ones that are way easier, you know, maybe just super easy paint or carpet and you're not going to get the, maybe you won't get the top end, but it'll be easy. You can kind of learn it. Um, so yeah, I mean, early on, I mean, super, super easy. I think my third one over at Polk, I mean, we're looking way more closer to like the $50 a square foot. I would, well, we, and we probably even went over. So maybe six, you know, you know, between 50 and 60 by the time we actually yep. had to double back and do plumbing again and all that sort of thing. I, I would like to say that I think we're a lot better at math at this kind of thing. Just don't give me math mixed in with dates and, and start calculating years yeah. because uh, that is definitely not my strong suit. <laughs> After 40 years old, yeah. I think we'd try to count backwards and <laughs> yeah. we don't want to think about yeah, we'll, how many we'll, years it's been, right? <laughs> we'll avoid that so, math again. Yeah. All right. So let's let's get into this. So uh, tier one, I would say, you know, back in the day, uh, and this isn't even that long ago, but I mean, about six six years ago or so, I used to say tier ones would run somewhere between twenty and thirty five dollars a foot, and the average was somewhere in the, like the twenty six dollars a foot typically, like dealing with like a nineteen seventies home, for instance. Now that number has boosted up to where it's now realistically about thirty to forty dollars a foot, and the middle tier, the average was sitting about thirty-five dollars a foot, and that's for a tier one. And I'm going to dive in and tell you kind of what tier one is here in a second. But tier two uh, used to be about thirty-five to fifty dollars a foot, and now that number is going to be about forty to about sixty-five. Um, is about what it's running me uh, the last several projects. And again, we get these numbers by tracking our data. So any any good businessman will look at their numbers and constantly look back and track the data and the um, you know the, the the performance levels right of what we're doing and trying to make sure that we're on track. And and the more you track and understand, the more that you can do better buying in and you know, programming your, your future and your business model to make sense. And then tier three used to be somewhere between 50 and 90 a foot. Now I'm going to bump that number way up. Uh, I'm going to say that's probably between, uh, it'd be, it'd be tough to even get it done for like $75 a foot, but I would say you can run your numbers at maybe $75 a foot and go up from there to even probably about $125 a foot. And 
you know, that's, that's tough. I haven't done one of those in a little while, but I've seen where numbers have, have ran and, um, it's very possible that those numbers are going to get up there. So, all right, so let's dive right in. So tier one is basically, uh, kind of going over your structure to repair only. So this is going to be roofs, foundations, any kind of framing, you know, if you want to, um, if you have any kind of issues uh, due to structure, like say you have posts out on the front porch that have failed and you need to replace those, you know, things like that. That's kind of what that's addressing. You're not really getting into opening up walls and things like that on a tier one. You're trying to stay within the walls, within the footprint, within the floor plan. And it's basically a cosmetic renovation, um, appliance package, carpentry. Uh, you're getting into minor repairs, cosmetics, countertops you're going to deal with. Your, your low-grade, you know, quartz, you know, your low-grade granite, that kind of thing. Electrical, you're basically focused on bringing things to code and repairs. Uh, you're not doing a lot of remodel stuff. Flooring, you're doing, you know, carpet and bedrooms. You're doing LVT. Uh, you're doing tile on the bathrooms, you know, that kind of thing. You're kind of trying to keep your, your overall cost uh, efficient, if you will. You're not getting into you know, site finish wood floors and things like that in the tier one typically. Then we get into, you know, hardwares and fixtures. You're going to do your lighting, your door, you know, your door hardware, your cabinet hardware. HVAC, you're doing repairs. You're you're replacing if needed, but you're typically doing repairs. And then uh, permits only as required. So maybe if you're moving up an electrical panel to the outside, for instance, and it was in the master closet before, or maybe it's it, it's a Federal Pacific or a Zinsco. You need to change that out. You know, th those are going to be more onesie twosie type permits. You're not typically typically going to pull a permit for a whole house remodel on a tier one. It's going to be more kind of as needed. Um, and then you get into uh, your glass, your shower doors, your mirrors. I would typically try to stick with like a frame shower door versus a frameless in this price point. Landscape, you're going to do your builder type basic package. Nothing crazy, you know, painting, interior, exterior, plumbing is going to be, you know, repairs and fixtures. Uh, pool, obviously, you know, repairs uh, as needed. And, uh, you know, getting into roof again, this is repair, replace, you know, tile. You're going to do as required. You might even keep some of the tile if you can. I've definitely done several tier, tier ones in the last couple of years that I've kept existing floors and I've kept some existing tile and just cleaned it up, regrouted as needed, you know, and I've, I've just disclosed that, Hey, I kept the floors and there's going to be some imperfections in some of these floors where there's scratches and, and things like that. Maybe it's not the best install job, but I can get away with, uh, selling the property cause they look good overall. You stage it and then just disclose that those floors were existing. I just did that in Irving actually. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, don't forget your cost in trash haul and cleanup. That's one of those things that people kind of consider hidden cost and, and they'll bite you <laughs> because they add up. On average, I'm spending somewhere around $1,500 uh, at a minimum on a tier one uh, just, just with trash hauls. Just the initial demo trash and then, you know, hauling off all the cardboard boxes and all the final stuff and cleanup, right? So that's kind of your yeah. tier one. Um, again, looking at that number, that that number that we're talking about is thirty to 
$40, right? With the average being about $35 a foot. So quick math for you guys out there, 2,000 square foot home, you're going to start about $60 or $60,000. And that number is going to run up to about $70,000, potentially being somewhere in that sixty dollars to $70,000 range, right? So if you're doing that math there. And a lot of people say, man, that's crazy. But I'll tell you, that's what's happened. So if you buy a house and you think you're going to do it for $40,000 based on the $20 a foot game that we were doing six years ago, it just doesn't happen. Or you're cutting major corners and people are going to see it. And so that's something that uh, that we're seeing quite often, you know, that people are either cutting corners or you're doing it right and it's costing you money. Now, keep in mind that numbers are going to be higher on the smaller square footage as well. So if people get into like a thousand square foot home or a 1500 square foot home and they're like, you know, great, this thing's only going to cost me $30,000, you know. Uh, and, you know, the reality is kitchens are kitchens and bathrooms are bathrooms. So it doesn't really matter the size of the square footage. You're going to save money on flooring. You're going to save money on paint. You're going to save money on, you know, some fixtures and things like that because the house is smaller. But at the end of the day, you're still spending the same money on appliances, roughly the same money on countertops, the same money on tile, you know, things like that aren't going to change much um, in a in a smaller footprint. So typically in a 1,000 to 1,500 square foot home, that number is going to be on the higher side, closer to that 35 to 40, $40 a foot right now uh, versus that, that lower side. So that's just something to keep keep in mind. Ashton, what you have anything to say before we jump into tier two? Well, what I would say is um, one thing that Brandon Turner of Bigger Pockets, I remember him doing a short, a while back, and this really hit home for me, um, is that every dollar matters. And it's really easy to get into these projects where you're talking about $60,000, $70,000. And, you know, I, I fall into the trap of, hey, it's okay, who cares? It's an extra $150 to, to pay for this tile or to pay for a guy to come out and do it twice or whatever. And 150 here and there starts slipping away. And over the course of a project, it really, really does add up. That being said is sometimes spending a little bit more to get someone to come out and do it quickly actually saves you money because you're paying a lot of on the hard, let's say you're doing hard money. So I think knowing what you're wanting to do, having a decent idea of your design, what level of things you're wanting to do, this also gets to having a really consistent look. I know you're good about this. You use similar paint colors, similar tile and similar courts and all you know you don't have to reinvent the wheel every house because that costs time and honestly it's not as efficient you're ordering a new material maybe it's not the right quality you have to send it back it doesn't look very good so if you can kind of land on a, a certain look for a while and you know for a fact that this hardware is good this plumbing is good everyone all your trades have worked with that specific tile, that specific valve for the, the tub or whatever, and they're not having to relearn. They can work faster. All of that adds up, and you're going to save thousands of dollars over the course of a project. And if you think about if you want to do this professionally and you're scaling and you're doing four, five, ten houses a year or more, but you know, on my level, I would love to get to where I'm doing 10 houses a year. And if you're talking about just 
2000 to $4,000 a project, which is easy to let slip away or to save. Well, now you're multiplying that out on the year. That's 40 grand that you're putting in your pocket just by being efficient and making some of these seemingly simple decisions in the moment. So that's kind of what I learned going from my very first big project where I was just learning everything and haphazardly picking things to now where I, I see how you do it and you're really, really consistent about materials. I, I see how that can be super valuable. So that's what I would say when you're looking at all these tier one, tier two, whatever, find something that works for you and be okay with sticking with it for a few projects because it really will pay off. Uh, I think that was a great, a great point uh, to dive into kind of figuring out your guidelines and sticking to it, right? And, and repeating the same thing over and over. Uh, you might change a few things up depending on the house, right? I, I Architecturally, if the home's a little different, I might change something up a little bit. Backsplash is something I usually get a little bit more creative on depending on each house. Um, but for the most part, I kind of know my numbers. I know the price point of the materials I'm using and try to stay within within a realm that's pretty consistent so my numbers can stay consistent. I will back up a little bit, and there's probably some listeners out here that think we're nuts uh, talking about, you know, the numbers, uh, you know, for a Tier 1 house, uh, you know, if I say cosmetic only, and some people are probably challenging that, thinking, hey, how's that $60,000 for a 2,000-square-foot home? I'll back it up, and I'll, I'll say this. In this market right now that we're dealing with, it's rare that if a home only needs cosmetics and it doesn't have any uh, foundation problems and it doesn't have a bad roof and it doesn't have a bad AC system, it's rare that we're going to actually have that opportunity where the seller says, hey, I'm truly in a convenience position here. I just want you to take this house off my hands and um, and I don't have any other options, right? It, it, that's very rare. So I will say that based on my numbers over the last couple of years, the majority of the tier ones I've done came with one item, at least one item, that was that was driving my cost up, right? It, and so, it, whether it was a bad roof and I had to replace a roof, there's ten grand. So now you're dealing with fifty thousand dollars to do the remainder of the project, right? Because ten grand was eaten by the roof, or and needed a fence. You know, there's eight to ten grand right there. Uh, or it had foundation problems. Okay, so foundation problems, you're somewhere between five thousand to fifteen thousand dollars sometimes. And then you know, do you have a plumbing issue uh, beyond that? Right. So there's use or you know the windows are completely trash and you got to spend five grand on windows. Um, so those are different things that I want to mention in here that even though I'd consider it a tier one and I'm using like existing flooring. And some of the existing tile that's in the home, you know, I went ahead and replaced the windows or I replaced the roof or I installed a fence. So that the, one of those big ticket items is is included in that overall number. So just so you guys are aware of that, it's been rare that I've come across a tier one project in the last couple of years where it didn't have any big ticket items at all. Right. So uh, anyways, I just want to bring that point up uh, for anybody that yeah. was... Uh, thinking that I was crazy, uh, throwing those numbers out there. So diving into tier two is going to be everything you did in tier one. But what bumps it up in a tier two is now getting into some bigger things. So for instance, um, Ashton's last two projects, um, the, you know, the house needed to be opened up. The floor plan was choppy. It was super dated. 
and needed custom cabinets. You know, he was he replaced the windows on both projects. Um, he actually did some surgery uh, in adding a bathroom on this last project in Mapleton because it had the master bath before was considered like a Jack and Jill bath with the guest. So the guest bath was shared. And, um, you know, in order to maximize that value, we needed to change that um, architectural detail. And his last project on Polk, did you merge a bathroom or what did you do on Polk? Because I know that uh, the master suite was down, but was it two bedrooms you merged into one and just made a big master suite with a big closet? Is that what you did over there? Yeah, on Polk, we actually... So we took a wall, a pretty good sized wall out of the living room, the front living room and the kitchen, opened that all up. We also finished out closing in the back room so we could add it in the uh, square footage back there. We sheetrocked, we put air back into a, a uh, back room, kind of a sunroom that was there. And then we actually brought the master bedroom downstairs. It was upstairs, really small bathroom, really small closet. We converted an old, old school den in the back of the house and we partitioned that off. We used the one little bitty bedroom that was downstairs that didn't have a, anything plumbing attached to it, just a little bitty bedroom. We actually made that the master closet and then the den became the master bedroom and part of that we partitioned off and we made the master bathroom. So all new plumbing over there. Luckily it was pier and beam and so plumbing was easy to move around, electrical, all that was easy to move around. But yeah, we, we brought a bedroom downstairs, added a full new bathroom downstairs, and we moved the laundry room actually from the center of the house towards the, the, uh, the garage. You know, So it, it had several elements that you're talking about, adding square footage, moving a bedroom downstairs, moving plumbing. You know, it, it was fairly complicated as far as the, the spacing, but it made it feel like a much, much newer, more modern layout. For sure. So tier two, I would consider, you know, we're basically staying inside the outside walls, but you're upgrading and uh, changing the floor plan around and uh, updating. Um, you know, you're going to update electrical, you're going to update plumbing, you're doing window replacements, uh, you, you know, structural now is including some framing work, you know, inside, maybe some exterior walls, maybe you're having to close up some windows maybe move some windows around. You know, those are all different things that are going to happen in the tier uh, tier two. Electrical, you're going to modify or you're going to rewire the whole thing. Uh, flooring, you might upgrade now to wood floors. Um, you know, something you're doing in Mapleton, it had existing wood floors, but you went ahead and continued that theme throughout, added floors where they needed to match, so that way you have hardwoods throughout the entire home now. You know, HVAC, you're, you might upgrade the ductwork now, um, which is a, a really cost-effective thing to do as long as you don't get taken advantage of like Ashton did um, on this last project. But <laughs> up to upgrading the ductwork can actually be very cost-effective. Uh, cost and what I mean by that is a lot of these 70s homes had the return ducts um, inside of the 2x4 wall cavity and you'll see the the old returns, kind of a rectangle return in different bedrooms and living rooms, et cetera. So if you can find an area in the hallway or something where you can put a 18-inch uh, duck return, you know, in and, and centralize that location um, or balance the system and you have kind of a, a couple different, uh, you know, return ducts, the, the system will operate much better. It'll be cleaner on your wall space. You won't have a bunch of ugly grills around everywhere. 
So that's something that you can easily do. It usually doesn't break the bank. And then you're getting into permits. You know, now you might actually be turning in for architectural uh, city and energy permits with the city. Painting, you're, again, now you're getting into more sheetrock work where the last tier one, typically you're just patching cracks. You're doing some minor stuff. Now you might get into more of a turnkey sheetrock and texture work. Plumbing, you're getting into modification, replacements. You know, you might be moving toilets around. Uh, and this may be, you know, my <laughs> one of my worst things that I hate dealing, dealing with now, especially like in these 70s homes in Plano, is uh, replacing sewer lines, right? So dealing with old cast yeah. iron pipes and um, having to tunnel under the home and, and, and replace the pipes to uh, PVC. This is... Yeah. About two out of three homes right now that I'm dealing with in Plano, I'm coming up against this. So it automatically takes my tier one budget into a tier two budget just with that fact alone. And like this house I did two doors down for me, it was disappointing because I didn't really do a lot of modifications to the floor plan. I mean, the house pretty much stayed what it was, but because I had to get into plumbing, then I had to actually do cabinet work, which I originally was trying mm. to keep cabinets. So Unfortunately, it kind of pushed me into a tier two category just because of the plumbing itself. Yeah, wow. that's one of those things you consider, and, and and I'm running into that. I'm getting outbid quite a bit in Plano, um, because people aren't considering that. But I much rather prepare for it than not be prepared because you're talking twenty, thirty thousand dollars it is for plumbing, and then if you didn't count for cabinets, then you got another ten, twelve thousand dollar. Uh, bill on top of that right um right. so that can kill your margins i mean if you're buying this thing thinking you're gonna make forty thousand dollars and then all of a sudden you're spending forty thousand dollars between plumbing and cabinets you're toast man it's done right yeah um and then you're priced too high and then you're chasing the market which we we see that uh right now all right so then tier threes is when we're talking about expansion uh, or adding square footage to the property to make the numbers make sense. And we'll see this quite a bit from wholesalers and just different people, especially when you get into Dallas. I mean, right now, most of the time when I'm getting a lead in Dallas, I'm kind of cringing because I know I'm dealing with a 1940s house or a 50s house or 60s house, um, or the numbers start so high that I'm getting a, li a lead that's like buy it at 500000 and it can be worth, 850 you know and i'm like okay well that's great but what's it going to cost me to do this renovation right and am i adding square footage and as we talked earlier you know this number is going to start at like 65 dollars a foot and go up to 120 you know potentially it just kind of depends on how crazy you get and how far you got to peel this onion back to make it work but you know tier three you're getting into structural Definitely you're doing permits, you're, you know, you're doing full, full set of plans on this thing. You're doing outside the wall additions. So that's really what makes it a tier three is you're going outside the walls. Now you might be ch changing the elevation of the home. You you're adding on, um, you, you might even be converting a garage, but then you're adding a second, you know, a, a second garage, if you will, or a detached garage, mm -hmm. you're getting into extensive framing. You, countertops you know you're gonna do some custom stuff in there you're gonna you know want to dress this thing up because now tier three you're typically dealing with a million dollar plus home right now 
I used to say that tier three would would start at like, you know, 650, 700 and go up from there. But in in this day and age and the the price points that we're dealing with these days, this is going to be something that's going to result in about a million dollar property from that point. Unless you get into something that's just like a thousand square feet and you're going, hey, I need to get this thing to 2000 square feet and it's somewhere in old East Dallas or something like that where you can make the numbers work and sell it, you know, in the fives or the sixes and you can buy this thing as, you know, cheap in the twos or something. But, um, you know, again, that's getting really, really difficult to, uh, to find and, and do. HVAC, you know, if you're getting into tier three, man, replace the whole system. You know, don't jack around with trying to keep an old system. Um, we did that years ago and it bit us in the butt. You know, yeah, I mean, we spent over $250,000 in renovations, but we tried to keep, you know, parts of the old HVAC system because they were proven out. And it was just one of those things that we just ended up uh, having to negotiate at the tail end. And even though we were right and they were wrong, it was just the, the stigma that basically we were right. giving them a new house and, and we didn't upgrade that. So just plan on it. You know, plumbing, you better change all the plumbing out. <laughs> you getting into that, just plan on replacing all the plumbing. I don't care if it tests good or not. You know, permits are typically going to require engineering work at that point. So you're probably going to spend money on an engineer as well. And then landscaping, you might get into more extensive stuff with flat work, irrigation, um, you know, site grading, custom design stuff, you know, things like that. So it's going to get a lot more, you know, custom builder type of type of thing, right? Um, you see this a lot in, in old homes. You used to see it a lot down in like Bishop Arts District and things like that where people were restoring these old homes, Um you know, those are definitely all in that tier three kind of structure. Some of the projects I've done before, one of my most famous projects was was uh, a mid-century home built in 1963 on Custer Parkway in Richardson. We won a bunch of awards. Uh, we got a Preservation Dallas Award on it. That renovation cost $625,000. It was about wow. an 18-month pro- project. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, keep in mind. <laughs> That's crazy. Four four to five months on that project was just design before we ever swung a hammer. Mm. So, um, you know, keep in mind, that's, that's also what eats up your timeline. Sometimes it's not even just the project itself. It's the design it's the permit phase. It's getting through the city. You know, you can turn in plans and wait six weeks to get your plans back. So that's where Mm. you just have to be very aware. If you're going to take on a project like that, you better have the timeline accounted for and you better if you're doing hard money or you're doing any kind of private money where somebody's expecting money back in six months it's not going to work you're going to have to make sure that you have a long enough timeline on your on your money for a project of that of that magnitude so just something to be aware of guys yeah i mean you can see why you know you kind of want to build into that and you want to you know make mistakes on a lower level project where you're you know, if you overrun like I did at Polk, you're overrunning by an extra twenty to thirty thousand dollars because you had to double back on a few extra things. If you do that on a bigger project and you make a mistake or, you know, you don't finish it out to the proper level, you're having to discount, you know, 
forty, fifty, a hundred thousand dollars off of a project. If you're starting out and your your list price is one point two million, well, a percentage drop off of that is significant if it sits on the market. So this goes back to and it all works together. You know, this goes back to knowing before you even put a bid in on a house to do, knowing what is the realistic number you can sell it for, knowing who is actually buying this house. What are they expecting as far as amenities? The farther up the food chain you go, the more custom you want, you know, the more unique, you know, and designer things are expected to be. You there's certain levels of of countertops and tile. You can't just go find whatever's on sale at floor and decor and make it work. Whereas if you're doing a smaller a project and you're going to maybe use it for a rental, you could probably start there. You know, you could go and find the stuff that's on sale and you can work your design around that. On the other side, you have a vision and you have a customer that you're backing into the materials. And so you have to really know what you're getting into and you have to spend time in those stores. You have to spend time pricing things out to just know what things are going for and what things are selling for. Um, at the moment. So yeah, those are all, uh, you know, great tips. I hope at some point I get into those. You know, the nice thing is, is I would think that if you can train yourself and become comfortable with doing some of those larger renovations, you're, you're weeding out at least some of your competition as far as other investors. And so if you can sharpen your pencil and make really good bids and know your, your process, you could probably get into some deals that could net some really good money um, obviously higher risk, higher reward. You don't want to jump into that immediately, but I'm hoping at some point I can do something along those lines and, you know, do something that's I, the, the fun factor to me is, is elevated a little bit in those because you do get to sort of express a little bit more of the artistic side. And I, I like that, you know, some people, this, their number guys, I don't really care what it looks like. I just want it to make money. I get that. I, I enjoy the design part. And so, the idea of getting to go in and do some fun stuff and, you know, change around some walls and layout and, you know, get to design a really nice bathroom or a kitchen and know that the budget will uh, absorb that, I think would be a lot of fun. So uh, hopefully at some point I get to do that. Um, well, why don't we uh, start to wrap it up a little bit? Do you have anything else to say as far as the tiers or how, how do you, how do you recommend someone getting this knowledge of uh, today what would something cost in their market? Let's say they're not in Dallas. How would you go about knowing, you know, what you should be spending on some of these things? So I think, you know, it's, it's important again, uh, we go back to building your team and just make sure that, um, you have your team, whether you're playing the role as the GC and you've got all your subs lined up and you kind of know who you're dealing with. I mean, I remember starting out, you know, 15 years ago and, you know, we didn't really have the budget to work with licensed trades, right? So we had like the journeymen's and the people that didn't have master license and they'd save us money and they would do some of the work, you know, and later we learned like, okay, that's biting us in the butt or they can't pull a permit or whatever the case may be. And so we had to graduate to spend more money on bigger, you know, on licensed trades and people that I don't have to babysit, right? People are going to do it right and get these green tags. Um, and, you know, that's like my electricians and my plumbers and, and, and HVAC guys and things like that where I just, you have to give a healthier budget as much as it stings and it hurts sometimes, especially like on a simple tier one. Like, you know, that little Irving property I just did cost me $3,000 in electrical. Like, really? You know, I mean, we did some 
things on the front end and, and we trimmed it out on the backside. But I overpaid, I mean, for what we did. But they did it right. They cleaned it up. I didn't have to babysit them. They knocked it out fast. And I know that they will come back if, if I get into a problem or something got flagged on an inspection, that they'll come back and fix it, right? So yeah. that a lot of times is worth its weight in gold, even though it stings or I didn't necessarily prepare with the right budget with it. Um, so it's just something to be aware of, but you know, we didn't get into tier four too much and that's your scrape and your rebuild. And that's cause that number is really variable based on where you're building and what your, you know, what your price point is going to be, what you're going to sell that property for. Um, and, and most people don't get into that, right? That, that gets into the builder territory and you better know what you're doing or you better make sure that one of your people on your team has experience building and knows what they're doing. And if they, if it's a custom build, for instance, they have that experience and you check their references and they've done this, you know, a handful of times and they know their numbers. Um, you know, we had enough information to be dangerous to dive off into it. And we still made money. But, you know, when I look back at it, like our first one, I want to say first build job, we might have made $60,000, right? Um, mm. it wasn't anything super exciting, you know? <laughs> um, but we, we started it. We, we paid to learn if you will, and we still made some money. And then, you know, we repeated the second one pretty much identical. Um, we changed some elevations up, but everything else kind of set and it got a little easier and we made more money cause we were able to sell it more cause we were able to use the first comp to bump our numbers up. Right. And so the second one, you know, I think we made over a hundred thousand dollars. Right. Um, and then getting into the third one, I think we made, you know, like 150 plus. Right. Um, but it also was, was the acquisition number. Like the, the one we made the most money on is because we bought it at the courthouse steps and we were competing against people that wanted to buy it as a rental, uh, as a 800 square foot home. And our whole intent was to buy this 800 square foot home and tear it down and build another one. So we didn't have any competition at that time. So we were able to win there because we were looking outside the box, uh, compared to our competition. And, you know, that was one of our best home runs. Um, but you know, it didn't take long after we're doing these builds and we're pushing these price points that competition started rolling in and started doing the same thing. And now mm. if you go to that area, that was little forest Hills. If you go to that area, you, you can't buy a new build in there now, you know, less than a million dollars. And they're, they're, big homes now, right? Because they had to increase the square footage to make the numbers make sense. And so that's another thing. When you get into building, you have to work your numbers backwards. You have to find those comps. It's the same thing as flipping or any other methodology. We just have to look at what those comps are and work the numbers back and see what we have to buy the dirt for, if you will. And what's happened is the dirt has gotten so expensive now that you're having to build a bigger home in order to make the dollar per foot make sense. And that, again, it goes back to our last conversations about dollar per foot. And you have people looking at it and going, there's no way I'm paying $500 a foot for this house, right? So they have to make the home bigger to make it $300 a foot. And then somebody's like, oh, okay, I'll pay $300 a foot, right? Right. And so that's the that's the crazy part about it. But then you end up with a house with two thousand, three thousand square foot wasted, 
just because you're playing right. the numbers a big, game. A big game room upstairs. Oh. Yeah, the big game room upstairs and a huge, huge master bedroom that you're oddly spaced with. <laughs> you know, you have three sitting areas. Yeah. And yeah, it, those houses feel weird. You have super wide hallways. The scale does feel odd when you go into a house that's just kind of square footage for the sake of being square footage. You can really yeah. tell when you're walking. And keep through. in mind, these, these are these were not big lots. I mean, the average lot in Little Forest Hills was 50 by by 150 lot. You know, hmm. I mean, that's not big, right? That means that you're building a house that's a maximum of 40 feet wide to have five-foot setbacks on the sides. And, you know, we were fortunate enough to build some one-stories that made sense to meet the demographic. But now you can't do that and get the square footage out of it, so they have to build up. So, again, yeah, they just kind of end up being funky floor plans and oversized homes that, Mm -hmm. you know, everyone Mm -hmm. makes fun of and is like, hey, these are big mansions being built. It's because the numbers have to make sense. And and that's what the general public and people don't understand. Well, man, it's all really, really good information. This is where years of experience, you just can't replace it. I mean, I bless you if you're trying to get started. I'm getting started. I'm two years in. I'm still making mistakes. I'm finally making my process a little bit more efficient. I know there's other people out there that get started. They do 10 their first year. They just figure it out. They get a team. They, they're really efficient. Everyone has their own journey, but I guarantee whether you're speeding up your your time frame and you know your first couple mistakes or within a, you know the first six months you're doing yours and then you take off and you're doing 10 or 20 in that first year or if you're like me and, and you're slow playing a little bit more and you're doing one at a time you know trying to learn like you're going to learn these lessons and so you know find your team find people that can help you out go connect with the local real estate you know community there you know the Facebook groups the meetups Find people that are actually out there doing work. Um, I know with my relationship with Tavis, you know, I came into it with basically saying, um, I, I don't have any more money to buy any houses right now, but if you need any help with anything, if you need someone to run by a project, if you, what can I do to sort of add value to you? And that's kind of how we hit it off. He's never really taken me up on me going over. I, I think there was a couple of times I had, you were out of town. I ran an errand over to a house and unlocked something or checked to see if a vendor had been by there. You know, it's not like all of a sudden I saved you 50 grand, but if you can find someone doing work in your area and you can add some sort of value to them, maybe you're out just trying to find them new houses. I guarantee that they're going to teach you these little tips and tricks and you will, you know, I made a, one of my very first short videos early on. Tava saved me several thousand dollars on a demo bid. Just, and I didn't know any different. He just, you know, just in the matter of him talking to another investor, I, I realized I was about to overpay for demo and I avoided that. So just being around people that are doing that business will greatly, greatly benefit you and your growth and, and your ability to do these projects. So we will be back at you later this week, Friday, hopefully with a, uh, another edition of our sort of our pop culture news, real estate world, uh, uh, you know, trying to dive in to see, see what's happening in DFW and across the United States with real estate. Uh, we come to you once a week with these deep dives, the, the Real Estate Heavyweight University. You can check me out uh, on Instagram, Facebook, uh, all, the, all the socials, uh, Dallas Real Estate Guy. And uh, please connect with me and like and subscribe this video if you're checking it out on YouTube. Follow us on Spotify, Apple. Send it to a friend. It really, really does mean a lot to us if you can spread the word. So, Tavis, let everybody know how they can find you. Yeah, so Tavis, like Travis with no R. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Instagram. Please don't hesitate to reach out and see how we can do business together. 
Definitely. All right. You guys have a great day and we will check you back later this week. Thank you.